When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcaster's Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the Podcaster's Playbook. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Black Wealth Renaissance. And I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do. Have kids, go live my chip and joy in the games life out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellard, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking on my co-hosts. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Feeling good, feeling great. 
like I said, we still dealing with this bullshit ass winter weather, man. It's about to start snowing outside, so we can't be, yeah, man, can't be on the roads like that, man. Jared, how you living, my dog? Man, I'm good, good, man. I'm chilling. What's good? It's your boy Jared, another fourth of the Black Girlfriend Sons checking in. I'm just chilling, man, and not enjoying this cold, but enjoying this day off. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta take it one day at a time, man. We another Saturday, you yeah, know, we man. We still thankful. It's a little chilly, but we ain't, we ain't letting ain't gonna let it show. Yeah. The pie gotta go. Pie gotta happen. And today, y'all, we got another great episode planned for y'all. We got a good brother out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He built up a very, yeah. he built up a very, very unique brand for the culture, hip hop brand, according to hip hop. <sighs> He's a digital market strategist and just an all around. You got a game. Yeah. You got a lot of work going on. Started man. off as an app, so got some experience in that area, too. Man, brother just really been working. Yeah, man. Brother Michael Dope out of, with, according to Hip Hop. Michael, how you living, bro? I'm doing well, doing well, man. Appreciate you guys having me on the program. No problem, my brother. Appreciate you for coming on. So I want to kick this thing off how we always do, Mike, man. We want to ask you, like, what was your start? Like, how did you get started in entrepreneurship, marketing, all that good stuff? Well, you know what? I think I, you know, stumbled upon it. Honestly, I started off in radio back in the day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my experience in radio, it was, you know, it was one of those things where it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know how you have like a love for something. And then when you finally actually get in that industry and actually get in that workplace and in those offices, it's something different than what you thought it was. Mm -hmm. And so my whole thing was like, man, I really wanted to be the way that I thought it was going to be in my head. And mind you, this is before, you know, internet became like one of those real big mediums for music and just culture all together. And, you know, fast forward, uh, myself, Maurice, who's one of the other founders of the According to Hip Hop Trivia Game. Uh, shout out to Maurice out there. He couldn't be here today. And Yeah, we were going back and forth with some, you know, hip hop questions and kind of created this game just on, you know, on the fly, really. And then it turned into one of those things where we were like, okay, well, we got to promote the game. So we got to create a Facebook page. We got to create an Instagram page. And we did that. And so I was kind of controlling that. And I just kind of got addicted with it. And then it turned into a platform where people were speaking about hip hop and then turned into a platform where there were discussions about, you know, the latest and greatest in hip hop. And then we start informing people, just listening to the public. And then next thing you know, this thing turns into a full out media platform, gets to a point where we're actually releasing music. And I'm like, you know what? I can use my journalistic background to actually build this into an actual media platform. You know, from what people know today, you know, according to hip hop on Facebook, we're nearly at a million followers organically and that was just basically on the momentum of people and listening to people and what they wanted to hear about you know the culture and keeping people updated on the culture and so like I was telling you guys offline we were like you know what let's go back and hit people with this trivia game that was initially supposed to be an app And we're like, you know what, let's do this in physical form. People can enjoy the actual game of according to hip hop. So we're kind of having to dial back a little bit and let people know that not only do we have this media platform, but we're getting back to the essence of what it is and, you know, putting this trivia game out there. But to answer your question, yeah, my start in radio kind of inspired 
that journalistic side of, you know, what the platform became and what it, you know, has continued to grow on to be in original content. And it's amazing to see that radio is not the end all be all for artists anymore the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I dreamed of this day, honestly. <laughs> That's dope, man. Yeah, I like that. And I think it kind of like, I see it from a deeper point of view. Whenever you got on the radio, what was your reasoning for getting on the radio? You just had love. pure love for hip hop? Yeah, it was pure love for the music, man. Like you grow up listening to the radio and you think it's this magical thing that's supposed to really give you what the next thing is. You know, I don't listen to the radio anymore, but you know how you get in like a rental car or something sometimes and, you know, a radio station's on and I was listening to the radio and they were kind of like, you know how they give you that teaser, like, well, when you get back from this message, we're going to let you know this, this and this as far as news goes. And I'm like, you can't even do that anymore. Somebody just pull up their phone yeah, and yeah. Google it. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, there's no dangling carrots anymore with radio, like radio's definitely lost that magic mm -hmm. and um i don't know i guess by chance i mean maybe maybe i saw it and didn't know what i was seeing but by chance i chose another direction and i'm glad i did mm. that's what's up though like and i like that you let your background in radio kind of like influence that like really help to shape that brand out so i kind of want to get into the building of the like the marketing side of according to hip-hop so mm -hmm. like you said you started Facebook groups and these things. You were just kind of listening to your audience. Could you tell people like what that really looks like in terms of like growing and scaling to a million followers organically? Yeah. You know, honestly, you know, current trends and current topics. It's one of those things where I don't want to say it's trial and error to an extent, but it kind mm -hmm. of is right. You know, like you never know what piece of content that you're going to post up there is actually going to go like sometimes the things that you think are going to be huge aren't. And sometimes the things that, you know, you had no idea were going to be huge, you know, go do like a million views or something. I remember posting this, it was like a Christian cipher or something like that, where they were rhyming. And it was just something that I saw on a friend of mine's timeline. I just thought it was cool. And, you know, I posted it on the, you know, according to hip hop, it just went crazy, you know. Millions of views. I mean, viral type of stuff. And those are the things that really do get you that organic growth from the ground up when people really haven't heard of your brand. And then they go back in that log and they see that, OK, you have been doing work. And then that's how people really get addicted to your platform, because a lot of people I tell. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say this is ludicrous, but that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Who was starting social media pages? They get discouraged early because they don't see that interaction on some of their posts early. But when you do have that hit, people will go back and see all those things and see that you have been doing work. So consistency is the key on so many levels because you just don't know what piece is going to actually be that jump off point. And once you do get something that jumps off, people need to see that you're constantly posting and you have to get into that constant habit of posting where you know what's going on to have the pulse of what's going on out here. That's what the growth is. 
It doesn't happen immediately, but it happens. Hmm. I'm glad you touched on that because this social media game is definitely a long-term play. It's not get in and just run it up. Like everybody starts with zero followers, like, and you got to do it off the rip. You can cheat. You can buy followers and stuff like that, but that following it's not going to be organic targeted following. You're not going to have people. Yeah, it's not sustainable either. And, you know, you can clearly see when somebody doesn't have that kind of organic following. And like you said, cheat because it doesn't stay, you know, it drops off and people don't see the engagement or whoever you're trying to get to see that engagement aren't seeing the engagement that really attracts advertisers or however you're trying to do it, or if you're trying to sell a product and you don't have real followers, you're not selling it to real people. So it's like, I don't know, you know, people do it for clout sometimes and just want other people to see that they got numbers. But at the end of the day, what are you cheating for if it's not turning into real dollars? Mm-hmm. And the numbers don't mean nothing if it ain't producing a tangible result. I like right. That. And I got a question. So when did you realize this was like a business that you can actually grow. What was that moment when you're like, I think I actually got something here? Well, you see the people are constantly going on your platform, right? Like when you see the analytics and you're seeing like even on your website, because before, well, long story short, there was a a previous Facebook page that we did that got up to like 248,000 followers and Facebook removed it because of some copyright stuff. And this was when Facebook was not really muting people's audio. They just Mm -hmm. went back and just, you know, hit the page with a bunch of violations and removed it. And I was like, you know, if I have to start over, which I did, and grow this thing organically again, I'm going to make sure that we have the website in place. I'm going to make sure that we have, um, you know, the the app in place. I'm going to make sure that we're good on all other social media platforms. And at that point, I'm like, okay. This is definitely a business. We had an opportunity here where we could have capitalized off of the people that we had on this original page, and we didn't. So mm-hmm. that was the moment when I really knew that, yeah, this has to bring in the money that we possibly could have. You don't want to leave money on the table. But yeah, when you see the people who are addicted to your platform and are on there every day, that's when you know you have a possible business opportunity. Mm. And I'm glad you mentioned that, like, the second time around that you learned that you needed to have, like, other platforms in place and ways to own your own traffic. So, like, can you speak more to, like, with a website, how can somebody go in and start owning their own traffic that way? Well, you know, obviously subscribers and getting email addresses. And I know that's not, you know, me as a user and (laughs) me and Maria debate about that all the time. Emails are very, very, you know, useful. But me as a user, I hate having to go to sites where they hit you with the little pop-up and all of that stuff, you know. But if you don't do that, the users that, you know, you have on your platform, they don't belong to you. They belong to that social media platform that they're on. So, yeah, collecting emails, turning your followers into customers to a certain degree, you know, depending on whatever product you're selling, that is how you control your own data. And just having that relationship with that customer. Programs like HubSpot really work out with that, where you're able to actually track your customer and communicate with your customer, depending on which business you're in. But that's the best way to do it because, you know, your followers really aren't your followers. They belong to Instagram. They belong to Facebook. I mean, grand scheme of things. 
because they could do whatever they want to do with your page whenever they want to. Hmm. I like how, you know, you touched on saying that you don't like being hit with the email things. Do you think there's a, a smoother way to collect information without without like the pop-up type? type there is. There is. I think that, and, and that's what we debate about all the time too in our meetings and in our, in our line of business with the trivia game, a lot of our fans, they interact when we put some of these questions or just random questions up on our platform, our story. And, you know, we have to give out prizes. You know, we have no problem giving back to our fans. They've given so much to us, but those are ways to actually create, and you know, not create, to collect email addresses as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do it in a gaming format and you do it in a way where it's interactive, where mm-hmm. it makes sense, where you're giving and you're not so much taking uh, people's information, I think those are smoother transitions as opposed to hitting people with pop-ups and expecting them to give you all of their information. Yeah, give them some type of value proposition in, in yeah. exchange versus just being like, hey, I need that email, my dog. Because at the end of the day, you know, social media is supposed to be a fun thing, right? Like, let's just keep it fun, you know what I mean? And keep it in a way where you're getting something for this information. Like, we're not getting this to, you know, spam you. We're getting this because we want to keep in contact with you and keep the fun going, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Whenever y'all, you know, y'all the second time around, what was the thought of, okay, this is how we're going to monetize this moving forward. Like, this is how we're going to make sure that it's still fun, but we're also going to create a valuable business. We're still going to make money from this. Yeah. One of the things, you know, cause we chiefly are in media, right? So advertising dollars are a big thing for us. And, you know, we, you never want to infringe in, and what people are, you know, enjoying about your platform and hitting them with a whole bunch of ads and all that. But I think people understand now that ads are necessary. Those are the ways that the platform continues to go on. And honestly, you know, it, we're blessed to be in a position where we do have a lot of people that we reach to. And so we give back to artists who want to promote their music, you know, in addition to other brands that want to get their brand on a large platform. But I think that the biggest thing that I wanted to do, I wanted to make sure that we had products that were personal to ourselves, Mm -hmm. like the trivia game, like the yearbook that uh, we were speaking about earlier. And these are things that people can know the brand for. And these are things that, you know, we can monetize on, you -hmm. know, everybody wins. You know, I think that the advertising is great and I love advertising dollars and all that stuff. But for me, when you're able to give people a product and, you know, and they enjoy it, they get something, we get our, you know, revenue, everybody wins, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to go a little bit deeper into the game and according to hip hop. So mm-hmm. we'll start off with it being in its earliest stages, which was an app, correct? Correct. It started off as uh, a mobile app. We were available on iTunes. Yeah. So- what did that look like whenever y'all were like, okay, we're going to create this app? What type of process was that? Like you had to go find your developer and everything. Was it easy? Was we it hard? Did, you know, because originally, like I said, myself and Maurice came up with the game concept and a gentleman by the name of Ronald Young, he uh, does like a lot of our visual content now. It was his idea to say, yo, let's do this as a mobile app. And so, you know, we went and found a developer and we had to go through all these specs and 
the space was new at the time, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, and just we didn't know what we were doing, honestly. And Apple took forever to clear it. They would, you know how Apple does when they clear an app. They individually tell you what's wrong with it. And so we had to figure out the graphics. We had to figure out the look. We had to figure out what we were going to do to keep people on the app. And it was definitely an adventure. But I think that it did separate us from everyone else because no one else in hip hop at the time was even in the app space like Mm. that. I think this is the time when Words with Friends was really big and Mm. And so, yeah, we were kind of in a space alone, which was kind of like a double-edged sword. But yeah, it was like one of those things where it was a learning experience. Uh, it introduced us to a lot of great people, but it it was like one of those things we needed to refine, you know. And obviously, when you jump off in a new space and the app space hadn't been totally proven at that point, It was a lot of things that we didn't factor in. I would put it that way. And, you know, as far as like what is going to keep people having this app on their phone. Mm. I think that's major, too. Like how you just mentioned that it was a learning experience in that is also another like for other people just looking at it. You shouldn't be scared to try things like that yourself, Mm -hmm. because even though y'all tapped into this unproven space and y'all really started like y'all had to learn so much through it you seen that, okay, maybe this didn't work out the way I thought it would, but it gave you even more fresh ideas and new ways to attack too. Sometimes you can't really learn from anything until you just jump out there and do it. And like you said, when the space is so new, there's nothing we could go read about or, you know, that (laughs) somebody could have actually told us. We had to actually put it out there and see what was going to work and what didn't work and go back and, you know, Look at the analytics, man. I mean, that's what a lot of digital marketing is. Trying some things and going back, looking at the analytics and making adjustments from there. Now, I mean, one of the big questions when investors, we would, you know, be in investor meetings that it was really tough for me to answer. It was like, what is going to keep people on this app? You know, and it's on a monetizing level. And that was a very difficult question at the time to ask because, you know how it is when people are on their phone. They're going back and forth. Oh, you know? Yeah. So it's really hard to say what is going to keep people on this app, the trivia app, that is, for a certain amount of time. And I felt like the, you know, the physical version of the game really alleviates that whole part of the process, too. Mm. Once they own that, they it's a physical product. They own it, and it's mm. like taboo or other board game, anything like mm. that. And yeah. I'm glad you bring up the physical version because I wanted to get into that whenever y'all realize, okay, it's time to pivot from that. So how long did y'all keep the app up and running? And when did y'all realize, okay, it's time to pivot to this physical version? We kept the app up and running for about a year. And you know how it is with apps, especially early on. If an app wasn't free, people weren't downloading. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so everything was supposed to be in-app purchases. And that was difficult, too. That's not as easy as people might think it is. That takes a lot of push. Um, And so, yeah, we kept it up for about a year. We saw the numbers go where they were, which was great because that was continuously expanding the brand in different continents while we had the social media out there and was reaching a lot of people. But we were like, you know what, let's draw back so we're not wasting questions or, you know, anything like that and retool. And it was really Maurice's idea to say, let's do a physical version of this because he's a gamer 
He's done a lot of research in the gaming world and what people are playing on physical games. And he did the work when it came to that part of it. And I was like, cool, let's do it. I'm all in. And so came with the physical game and it turned out incredible, you know. And people love it. Everyone who's playing it is like loving it. We're actually looking to expand since we do have the media platform as well, expand this into an actual game show to help promote the actual cards itself. So that would be hard. That would be hard. So for anybody that is listening that's unfamiliar with according to hip hop the game, can you kind of give them a breakdown of how the game is and what it works? Because I know you said the app was like a trivia. So it's like how did it work? Okay, well, I'm going to go back to the original story. Like when I came up to Maurice at the restaurant we were working at back in the day, he was like the only hip hop fan there that I knew would even be able to answer the question. So for whatever reason, we were bored. I came up to him and I asked him, I was like, you know, who shot JJ, right? <laughs> this is a Ghostface lyric, right? And so... He knew what I was talking about, but he was like stumped. And I told him what song it came from. And it was from Bobby Digital's Holocaust. And the whole lyric is like, who shot JJ? Mudbone, same nigga riding the train, same nigga with his name on his jacket, right? And so when I said that, he was like, oh. And then he came with another one. And long story short, the whole concept of according to hip hop is based on the lyrics. Like you only know the answer of this trivia game question if you know the lyrics to the song. And so, yes, we came with a bunch of questions that were just, they get difficult. I'll put it that way, but it makes it fun because like we were doing offline, when I say some of the questions, you start thinking about that song. Like I know that lyric. Like, and, and then when you, you know, you hear the song in your head, because sometimes people hum it and they're like, what is that word that I'm missing? But that's what makes the, the game so different. So I'll give you an example. So this is one of the cards in the deck. I got a Nas question here. It says, according to Nas, who would Nas make mayor of the cities? And this is if I ruled the world. I knew, I knew what song it was. Yeah, okay. You need a hint? Uh, yes, give me a hint. She was an author, activist, and a leader of the civil rights movement. According to Nas, who would Nas make mayors of the cities? Angela Davis? Mm-mm. Let me see. I'm trying Coretta to... Scott King. Coretta. Ah, yeah, I wouldn't have got it. <laughs> I wouldn't have got it. But oh, well, this I is think it's dope in that, like, the way it's structured. It's a cool structure in it because it brings people back definitely with uh like I know you said you mentioned to me that they had you not only do like the 90s hip hop, but you have hip hop all over, like from yeah, yeah, yeah. From, I mean all the way up to Cardi B. To here. Like, yeah, everything from cool Mo D to Cardi B, man. So I mean, here's an easier question. It's like according to Nas, what's the cousin of death? Sleep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's in those formats. And what we wanted to do originally with the platform was to make people pay attention to lyrics. Mm. And the long-term goal in that too is like when artists are writing music, you know, they're getting their pen together so they could possibly be a question on the game. You know what I'm saying? That's hard. Now I'm thinking about it. I even think about some ways that y'all could have hindsight with the app. Like I'm thinking about the Ellen DeGeneres, the heads up game, right? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I'm pretty sure you played. Yeah, play, yeah Ellen DeGeneres made that shit. But like, I could have saw y'all doing something like that and having the different card decks. So you could have had like a '90s deck or had an R&B deck or something like yeah. that. Yeah, we're working on that now. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna do different decks, and I do think that there is a space for us to get back into the mobile app space but we do want to get people familiar with the physical first i like that Uh, just so it's accessible to everybody but right now you know what we're looking to do and how we're doing it we want to make these real time capsule pieces. these are collector's Mm -hmm. items at this point you know and once you know a lot of these are out there in the world we'll probably stop and go straight mobile who knows or we'll just do a bunch of different decks and different add-on decks so i'm going to get that the expansion packs that's hard i like that <laughs> yeah i mean we're sending y'all decks anyway come on now <laughs> man, man, i still gotta support though man like once, once the new ones drop man like yeah I, I feel like that's gonna be a hit at the next game night man that's what i keep thinking about as a game night type uh almost like a drinking game, game night, family game night. You can really mix it up a lot of different ways. And, you know, another thing that I love, too, is the fact that, you know, the mobile was great and what we experienced there. But with the physical game, you really see people enjoying it. You know, and you see groups of people being able to interact. And that's what we really set out to do in the first place. It's like the mobile was more of an individual thing where people were playing the game individually. We had other capabilities where you could compete with another person there, but it's not the same as like... Mm -hmm when you have a physical deck and you got five or six people around and you got a person that wants to answer the question and thinks they know it, it's just a different interaction, you know? I like that. I have a question from earlier. It's something that we had kind of mentioned something, but we ended up going into a different topic. You mentioned whenever you were going with your investors, you were looking over your analytics for the app. I kind of wanted to ask, like, what are some of those key analytics whenever it comes to marketing that people need to look at? And then I guess the second part of the question would be like, what does it look like finding investors for a mobile application? Early on, we would go to different pitch competitions to keep it real. And I think a lot of people were intrigued more so about the idea because, again, it was so new. And it's like, you know, let us listen to these young dudes and see where they're going with this. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to miss an opportunity in that way. But for us, finding potential investors at that point was more so you know, pitch competitions and people who were looking for those opportunities in those industries. So I would say that looking for an investor is going to be predicated on your industry in particular. Now, the other question, the analytics that investors are looking for is how they going to make money, you know, and depending on what you're asking for, how are we going to get this money back? And how is this person a customer? What has this person proven to you to be a customer? Have you sold anything to this person? Honestly, that's the biggest analytics. If you got 100 people and you've sold something to 80 of them, that's more attractive than you got like, you know, a thousand something people and you've only sold to like 10 or 15. Because mm-hmm. yeah. now you got the actual that, oh, I got a product that they want. Mm-hmm. You got the proof that you got a product that they want. Because whoever that investor is, they can pump in whatever they need to to get that in front of more people. Mm -hmm. That 80% looks good. That means that whoever you put this in front of, they rock it with your product. Mm -hmm. So with that, you go from digital to physical. So instead of looking for investors, now you got to look for 
a manufacturer for the cards, correct? Yes, correct. So what does that process look like? Going from getting investors for this mobile app to now I got to find a manufacturer so I can distribute these cards. Yeah, that that process was very interesting because then you got to worry about cost and, you know, and what you're charging on that level. The first manufacturer that we went with was one that basically kind of does, I guess you would say, test models, right? Mm -hmm. So the prices were a little bit higher, but at the time we wanted to make sure that we were able to test out these products and we wanted to make sure that the people who were purchasing from us were getting top quality. It was more so about actually getting it into people's hands as opposed to, you know, capping on a crazy profit. But after we actually got through that stage, we were able to use that to leverage a network through another gamer, which Maurice found a gentleman who works in the industry. And he was able to connect us with some people who were manufacturers on a higher level Mm -hmm. and set up that meeting. And we were able to, you know, purchase in bulk and sell from there. And so we have a relationship with them now. And it's really interesting the fact that I pride myself on being able to find pretty much anything on the internet. You can't find these manufacturers like that. It was really just us being able to have a relationship with somebody who was in that industry, who was able to pass over a number to us. And then, you know, talking to that main manufacturer and they passed over a number with a side company that they work with, which they thought would have been a better fit at the time. So Yes, that was definitely a journey and that was a networking thing. And I, I like how you spoke about it though, like just the networking and really building those relationships. Yeah. Even whenever you got into the mobile spot, the mobile spot, y'all did the same thing. Y'all mm-hmm. built those strong relationships where you were able to really navigate. And that speaks to just teamwork that goes into getting any type of gold accomplished. And with those manufacturers, were they stateside? Were they overseas? Like how did that They were definitely stateside and the manufacturer that we're currently working with is in Massachusetts and the company slips me, I guess, because I talked to the individual on a first name basis now, (laughs) but yeah, they do really good work. They were able to give us a great turnaround. What happened with us on the company that did our initial order, they were great for just doing individual orders. Mm-hmm. And they gave us not that bad of a turnaround because that was one of the bigger issues when you talk about having inventory and having physical product. Once we ordered a hundred of these things, they gave us this crazy timeline and it kept getting pushed back and back. Mm-hmm. I think I put in an order in August and they said it was going to be ready in early October or something like that which was already a crusher anyway. But then I saw as days went on, this date kept getting pushed back further and further. And so I was like, you know, we can't do this. We can't move like this because people aren't going to wait that long for product. And I wouldn't want anybody to wait that long for product, especially when we were doing our push for the Christmas holiday season. I'm like, I don't want us to be in a situation where people are getting their stuff after Christmas either. Luckily, though, Maurice's contact was able to put me in contact with that company, talk to the other company, and he was able to get us that same order for a very similar price in a week. An order that we were sitting there waiting nearly two and a half months for. He was able to get to us the same exact quality, shrink wrap, everything in a week. Power of networking. 
It is. Mm-hmm. And that was the other part too, that other company, we weren't even able to talk to a physical person either. Mm-hmm. Is networking and also learning other companies' strengths and weaknesses also. Like you said, that company was great for developing the concept, but yeah. it wasn't great for mass producing the product. Right. They were also great for actually sending out individual ones because we had to shoot a commercial. So we went ahead and just put in an order to the person that was shooting the commercials in California. My guy, Matt Odom, he did a great job. And what happened was I shipped him a deck of cards at the time. I didn't have a big inventory of it. And the cards came to him where the box was mangled up. And he's like, you know, I can't use this for the commercial. I want to have a good box. But anyway, we were able to use that company and send him out like one deck. And they did great at actually sending out one or two. But anything over 10, it was just a problem. (laughs) Good luck, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) have you been thinking about starting a podcast but you don't know exactly where to get started maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms well good news i created a course just for you it'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey It's called the Podcaster's Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the Podcaster's Playbook. So so I kind of want to get a little bit deeper with the physical and everything. So after, you know, y'all get y'all kinks out with the manufacturing stuff, Y'all get y'all bulk products in. Now you got to find storage. Are you storing this at home? And then you also got to think about the second side, sales. How are you selling this? You're on the streets. Is this e-commerce? How are we doing this? Well, we're using, you know, we have a large audience of social media. So we've been using our social media audience, using our 15 second commercial through social media marketing as well, doing some Facebook and Instagram ads. And, you know, point per click, all of that stuff. So we've pretty much been digital with it. Now, I did notice, though, when we were going out to different events and being able to show people the product and talk to people, the sales were happening like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Hand-to-hand's great. Unfortunately, during oh. COVID, we have limited opportunities when it comes to that. But I think when everything opens back up, we'll be able to, you know, do a little bit more of that. But right now, we're doing like a lot of, digital sales. We're on Shopify. So it's pretty easy. People click, go straight to the link, purchase it. And we do have our inventory that we do keep, keep it at the crib or in a storage unit or whatever, send it out. And yeah, people are able to get their cards in, I would say three to four business days. That was one of the one things that I was worried about though, when we were going through that manufacturing issue. I was like, yeah, I want to be able to actually touch our product where I could tell people that, okay, here's your tracking number. And, you know, this is when you're going to get it. Mm. That's and- a major thing with selling physical products. Like you cannot, shipping is a well, is a make or break whenever it comes to having physical yeah. products. If you got people ordering stuff, like you said, with that first manufacturer, imagine they ordered the stuff in October and now you can't get it till, until December. They yeah. don't have everything bad to say about your business. Hell it's like yeah. you just bought something off a of wish. That drop shipping and fuck the game up. Drop shipping in Amazon, man. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. No, I agree. And it was like, I didn't want to be, especially with this being our first rollout for the product, didn't want that kind of bad business, you know. And, you know, again, you want people to have the game. Mm-hmm. You know, And that was one of our things, too. We were just excited about people actually having the game in their hands. So the fact that people would have to wait and you have to send out those emails saying, you know, well, it's going to be three weeks. I don't know. Like, you know, when people order something, they expect to get it, you know, fairly quickly. Because you order something from Amazon, obviously Amazon is Amazon, but that's what people's mindset is. It's like, I order something from Amazon, I get it the next day. Well, you can't do it. Three weeks. (laughs) It's crazy. So, Mike, man, what what would you say, like, if you could offer any words of advice to somebody who has, like, an idea for a physical product in their head, like, what would be some steps or something they could take to maybe find that first manufacturer? Um, You know... If we're talking about a game, uh, a game, um, yeah, I suppose, let's just say a game because I mean, that's what you got. It's not too, too difficult to actually find a manufacturer that would do a mock up. Now, it's costly, but I think that, that is probably the best first step so you can actually see it in tangible form yourself. People make a, you know, one or two copies of it, but it's going to cost. But I would say that, you know, actually getting somebody to do a mock up. Google and depending on whatever industry it is, see who does those mock-ups and get them to get it done so you can showcase it out. And so you can actually see it yourself too and see what you like about it, what you don't like about it. Mm, I like that. And I kind of wanted to ask with like the selling side, I, the reason why I had X that because I wanted to know about like the email list, did they come into play like owning your own audience? Did they kind of give you a boost with selling it also? It did. You know, email campaigns were really, really beneficial because, again, Maria and myself were talking about that, too. You know, we um, do the digital marketing and she's really big on emails. I'm not as big on emails and I should be, but she was pushing for it. And the email campaigns were definitely giving us some really good interaction. Um, Yeah, because, again, that's your audience and those are people that you've actually, you know, conversed with on different levels. But it was one of those things too. It's like, you know, I don't want to spam people, but it wasn't spamming. It was just basically letting people know what we have out there and giving you reminders of what we have out there. Because that's the thing about marketing too. People aren't going to purchase off of the first time they see an ad. Mm, It takes people about five or six times before they actually make that decision to purchase from seeing an ad. And that's what people got to remember, too. Your first campaign is probably not going to be, you know, the end all be all to what the campaign's going to be overall. Mm. People think that you can just sell by putting it out there one time. Like, oh, I'm going to just say this once and I'm going to get all the customers and I'm going to just be rolling it. And it's like, no, this is a concerted effort. You got to take time and like continue to look at what you did, optimize, continue to put it out in front of people in different ways. I'm mm, glad yeah. you shared that. And I'm glad you're getting into that, too, because I also see this in the social media, in the digital space. Like you said, your first campaign isn't going to be your end all be all. But what I see on Instagram and social media, a lot of people, they come up with one campaign and they just really want to push it, push it, push it. Sometimes it might convert well. Sometimes it might not do well, but they think, okay, they just need to see it more. But like David said, sometimes you have to test and optimize. Sometimes maybe the first thing that you came up with isn't the greatest. So now you got to go back to the drawing board and see, okay, what can I do to make this stick? And that kind of talks to what you was talking about in the beginning, 
listening to your audience. Right. Because sometimes the thing that you put the most money into creating isn't going to be the thing that works either. I mean, that's one of the things, too. When people are so invested in a certain campaign, they Mm -hmm. want that campaign to work. And it could be something that costs you nothing that you put together that's working more than the thing that, you know, that you paid thousands of dollars to create. But again, that's one of those things where we were talking about earlier with, you know, digital marketing. You just never know what it's going to be. And you got to listen to that audience. Is there a way to, since you're heavy in the digital marketing, is there a way to test it on a micro level before you take it to a macro level? So maybe you got like a small test group where you're trying these different things before, like you said, you really become invested in this and you're hell bent on this one campaign working. Maybe you got a few different campaigns that you want to test out. You know, in our situation, I don't know, I guess I foresaw according to hip hop getting big. And so I saw the people who were interacting with our Facebook page early on, like the first hundred. And it was people who used to go back and forth. And I created like this secret group, which is like our OG page, right? Mm -hmm. And so we still have that group in there. And those are the people that I kind of test those things with. Mm. Uh, It's about maybe like 50, 55 people. It's a small group, but it's people that have kind of formed relationships because of their interaction with According to Hip Hop. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, those are like the test market groups that you run some of those things by. And you could tell by these, you know, the interactions that you get from them or the reactions rather that you get from them, what you might need to go with. Because Mm -hmm. they're a non-biased crowd, really. I mean, they're just basically there because they came together through According to Hip Hop early. And if people can do that with their brands as well, like identify some people who are key to your product. It could even be a group of friends that, you know, have, you know, their own opinions or very opinionated about some things that concern your product. And yeah, just run it through them and don't give them any backstory on what this ad is. Just put it out there and see what people say before you try it on, you know, a huge level, like you said. And sometimes using these groups, sometimes you might get a lot of backlash. So I guess the question that I have is like, how do you know when you should totally listen? Because sometimes people will be negative just to be negative, right? Yeah. People are haters. It is yeah, like there's haters. So like, how do you know when they're being a hater versus like, okay, I should really just go with my gut and say, according to hip hop is going to be, I'm going to take it to the next level. Well, yeah, I think you always got to trust your gut. And sometimes, you know, and I think you guys can kind of tell from some of these stories I've told that we just go out there and try it and see what works and then go back and, you know, analyze it after the fact. But yeah, definitely go with your gut. But if you do have a trusted group of people that, you know, you feel like you can actually put something out to and they ain't going to be haters about it, do that. But if you really feel and truly believe in something, I mean, you got to go out there and try it. I mean, that's why you got the vision for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not on you to convince everybody what your vision is. If you believe in that vision, go for it. Mm. And, you know, but you also have to pay attention to when it's not working, too, and then go back and make adjustments. I like that. I like how you said You got to have your vision. Like you said, the vision was given to you. Not everybody going to be with it. But if, if everybody got something bad to say, then you got to like start looking at it like, okay, right, right. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need a tweak here, a tweak there, but I like that. 
good rule of thumb. I kind of want to go back to like the monetizing of okay. the blog. Like, like you said, you know, the advertisement dollars. What does that look like to monetize a website or like a media outlet online? How are you doing this? You're doing this through Google? Are you contacting directly, telling people, hey, we could put this ad on our website? Like, what does that part look like? It's way more lucrative when you actually do your own individual deals. There's a social blue book. I'm not sure if you know you guys are familiar with social blue book, but it's a platform that basically it will scan all of your social medias, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, and let you know what you should be charging people to advertise on your platform. I did not know about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really helpful. And it kind of gives you a lot of insight to, you know, what that whole thing looks like and why it looks like that. And it also gives you the ability to print out proposals or put together proposals based on those numbers. Anything other than that, you know, if you're relying on Facebook to do the deal themselves, then you're not going to get that great of a deal. I mean, I think a lot of people are probably familiar with their Google Analytics or AdSense pays them at the end of the month. It's not great. Even if you're going out there, you know, doing a bang out job and having a crazy record number of months, you're probably going to still get like maybe $800 in AdSense, maybe. You know? Yeah, that's a crazy record number. I need to put this It was one month that our website was, I mean, because we normally are doing, you know, great numbers. I want to say we had, it might have been like 20,000 users or something. Well, it was something like that. I have to go back and look at the analytics. But yeah, it was like $800. And you're like, wow. Imagine if we were actually... You know, yeah, if they're paying us $800, imagine what they made off of selling these ads that retargeted the people that were going to our stuff. Mm. Because that's pretty much what it is. These platforms are using your content and the analytics that they're gathering for the people that are engaging on your posts to go back and retarget this stuff when people Mm -hmm. are paying for Facebook ads. So when you're going out there doing your Facebook advertising and you're saying, okay, I'm looking for users that like dogs or, you know, whatever, whatever. They're using these pages that are built off of, you know, dog likers to target those actual followers. Mm. And they're making so much money off of the fact that, you know, they're charging people directly hit these ads and they're using your pages to do it. So It's great to be able to use platforms like Social Blue Book to know what your actual platform or YouTube channel is worth. Mm. So you can go out there and do those deals yourself. Because if you're actually, you know, like I said, going through Facebook to get them to monetize it for you, because they'll easily do that. They'll monetize it for you, but you're going to get pennies on the dollar for it. They need that cut. So I kind of want to go into like, after you get like a quote on that, what does it look like to try to find, I guess, appropriate advertisers on your platform? Do you kind of look at what Facebook and Google are putting on your page? Or like, do you, like how you find people that would want to advertise on your platform? Yo, it's Big Fred, AKA the Tuzo Adi Podcast. 
Kiki Tsubafetu, and we are the Sobering Podcast. Tune in to us every second Wednesday for fire conversations and interviews about South African music, sneakers, and street culture. Check us out on the Revolt Podcast Network. Shout out to our moms. Well, like I said, artists reach out all the time and want to advertise, but you can really see who in your industry advertises to industries like you, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. I mean, you talk about hip hop, you know, Red Bull's huge in hip hop, Sprite's huge in hip hop and things like that. Or you could even just go broad and not even hit individual brands. Like what makes sense for your users and what could you actually sell an actual product on? Like what could you tell that person that you could do for them based on what your audience is, if that makes any sense? Hmm. This is what our audience is. We're 90% male. We're between 25, 34 age group. We know you target this type of follower. This is what we have. This is what our engagement is. This is what it costs to advertise on our platform. Okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I like that tip on like just the whole, the social uh, blue book, but also like the industry tip. Just knowing who's marketing to your industry, even like with the hip hop thing, like maybe if it would have been someone who's, they got this new software technology allowing artists to upload their music or yeah. something like, well, like a United Masters like yeah. probably would have fit well. Or maybe right. they got like this groundbreaking for producers who want to sell their beats at a higher frequency or something like that. So something like that. Tailor to around whatever you're talking about. I like I that. Because uh, I get those advertisements on my timeline for like Tracklib. I think that's one of those platforms where you're able to have a subscription base and you can actually sample everything they got in their catalog to make beats for. So, I mean, we're getting retargeted all the time, I'm sure, you know, just based off of the stuff that you engage with on social media. Hmm. And, you know, it's important for people to know that they're using your pages to do so. So you might want to do some of that legwork yourself to go get your own advertisers if you can. Hey, they out there. To the wise. Yeah, that's the game. They're trying one. to get to the market and they got the advertising dollars. Go get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Mike, man, we're going to go ahead. We're going to pivot to the last segment of the show, my brother. So I want to ask you, what's on your timeline? So what's something you've seen on either social media, the internet, anywhere that you want to speak on? It could be anything. Anything. You know what? The last thing I actually saw, and it was funny when you asked me that earlier, <laughs> you know, the Gorilla Glue lady has... Uh, uh, let's talk about she, it. She dominated the whole timeline. And I saw this news article where dude, I guess he got the, like the, the, the shit on his lip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He glued the soda can in his lip because he thought he'd be able to lick it off or something like that. It was a nigga in Louisiana. They both from Louisiana, and I'm so oh, girl was from Louisiana too. Yeah. Fuck, not hear her talk. Shit, man. God damn it. Making us look bad, man. Man, this but, whole you know, and that made me just think about follow culture. You know what I mean? The fact that, you know, people not only are going to do copycat stuff anyway, but people will follow anything. I don't Anything. know if attention or if they just truly, it has to be attention. I don't think, like, huh? I genuinely feel like she didn't understand what she did to a degree. She didn't read or something. I don't understand how the fuck she did it. 
But anybody that did it after they seen her head was like this for a month, they did it for clout. Like you putting gorilla glue on your lip, like, come on, son, stop. You know it, you know what's gonna happen, but you just did it so everybody could talk about you on the internet because it's crazy. Now you and like it's marketing for gorilla glue. Like, I mean, this is free marketing for gorilla free glue, unless they marketing. set these people up. I don't know, but old girl, <laughs> I think old girl got like a million followers now, bro. That's crazy. Off of her putting some glue on her head, looking like a damn fool. Gorilla glue definitely made some money off of this. I seen something the other day. Somebody like people requesting cakes and shit with her face. It was the cake with like gorilla glue. Oh, hell no, man. It's not live. I'm dead ass, bro. Like people really doing this out here. (laughs) Hey, man. If y'all doing this bullshit, please stop. Please stop. (laughs) Please. So, yeah, that dominated the timeline for shoot the whole February. But I think that we might end up getting even more stories because, like you said, the guy with the soda on the lip. And it's like, when is this going to stop? Damn. <laughs> I hope so too, man. That's crazy. But as a marketing person, yeah, I was thinking, man, Gorilla Glue is winning right now because of this nonsense, too. I know somebody went buy some Gorilla Glue just off of that. Yeah. I'm sure their sales are up because that shit works. Because if anything, it proved that their product works. <laughs> but for a month, your hat is not doing nothing, Nathaniel. <laughs> just don't put it in your head, you know? <laughs> Hey, that's hard, though. That's crazy, man. Mike, man, I want to say thank you for coming on the show, man. This has been a great time chopping it up with you. Got to learn a good bit. Appreciate you guys having me, man. And, yeah, go visit According to Hip Hop. Check out the trivia game. Go purchase it. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, According, the number two, Hip Hop, or just go to AccordingToHipHop.com. And, yeah, that yearbook is on the way, too. So we'll have that up there for people as well. Give them a little snippet about what the yearbook is about. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the yearbook is going to be one of those things where 2020 was a very, very active year. And it's always a lot of active years, but obviously we know 2020 was Mm -hmm. extremely active. And I think in this digital space of news and media, we get lost in it sometimes. You know, we talk about topics and then they're trending for a minute. I think we're going to forget about Gorilla Glue Girl by the summertime. So what we figured we would do for the year 2020, we just collected all the data from everything that our followers were talking about the whole year and put it in one book so that people would be able to go back to the year 2020 and actually reflect on the year accurately and understand what people were talking about in hip hop, what was going on in that year. And, you know, have it in a tangible form where people are able to actually see history and we could document history as it's happening. It'll be in like a coffee book table format, about 200 pages, and it covers everything that happened in the year of 2020 and how hip hop was related to it and all the music that came out and everything. So really excited about that. And we're going to make this an annual thing where we do document the year on an annual basis so people could be able to collect 2020, 2021, 2022. And by like, you know, 2030, you go back and actually look at, you know, the book when it actually happened. So that's why we wanted to call it a yearbook because we know that people accurately take their high school Mm -hmm. yearbooks and look back at them years later and see where the world was at that time. Like a time capsule. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real cool, man. It was real fun putting together. And, you know, since we do have all the data and analytics, we figured, you know what, we'll go ahead and use this for something where 
we can actually document culture in a way where it's accurate. Because I think that's a big problem we have in Black culture and in hip hop, period, is the fact that we don't document our culture accurately. And years later, people start rewriting our history in front of our face. Mm, that's deep. Like yeah, that. we figured that, you know, we would try to alleviate that in our little microcosm where we can, you know what I mean? Throw the narrative. I feel it. I love it. <laughs> Definitely. Love but yeah, all that will be available on any of our social media platforms or according to hiphop.com. And we really appreciate y'all having us, though. Hey, no problem, my brother. Before we get up out of here, we'll get into a few house cleaning items. Once again, thank y'all for listening to the Black Old Friend of Sounds podcast. If you are new here and you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, rate, review. Let us know what you thought about it. Please tap into our next show if you've been here. Once again, thank you for coming in week in, week out. Y'all definitely, definitely share to your family and friends. Yeah, family and friends. We're trying to get to 20,000 active listeners on every new episode. 20,000. In the first week. First week. We need that. We need that. So y'all definitely, definitely tap in. Help us grow this year. We're trying to come for that number one pod spot and we need y'all help. Yes, indeed. I ain't really got nothing else for him, my brother. I hey, ain't gonna lie. If you ain't got nothing else, look, this is Black Off Winter Sign signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. When it comes to clothes, it's great to have options. But having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must for everybody. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits into your life seamlessly, with quality you have to feel to believe. And with an impressive selection of staples to choose from, there's something for everyone. So whether you're on the hunt for the perfect t-shirt, a solid pair of jeans, or super soft sweatshirts, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop Wear Anywhere Closet Staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code WA23. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.